0: Hello, welcome to the podcast Research on the Rocks, where quality research meets quality cocktails. My name is Paula Larson. I'm a doctoral researcher at the University of Oxford. I research the history of medicine specifically looking at the history of vaccination.
1: And I'm Joshua Bull. I'm a postdoc at the University of Oxford in the Mathematical Institute. So I work on um, mathematics of, of cancer and studying how immune cells interact with, with tumors.
0: So the podcast here is going to be a bit of a mixture of like researchers talking about what they do, um, but in a casual setting as if we were down at the pub, as we sometimes go to when we're researchers in Oxford. Uh, Josh and I met when we were both college uh, at St Hugh's College, which is one of the colleges here at Oxford, and we uh, got to know each other that way. And you know, since then, we've had great conversations whenever we go out to talk. And we thought, what a great way to create a podcast is listening to those conversations.
1: I was going to say maybe not whenever we go out to talk, but you know we try. Um, yeah, we we basically just. Um, we really enjoyed chatting with our mates about what research they're working on at the moment. And uh, yeah, we thought everybody else is making a podcast. So uh, why not share that love with the world? Um, and that was that was the idea be- behind this, I guess. Does that sound about right, Paula?
0: Yeah. And also, it's just it's nice to create a podcast or a way in which people can talk casually about their research because every time a researcher is interviewed on like TV or in a like a, a proper setting, like, there can be a lot of pressure on, you know, say exactly what your research is and the purpose of it and what it's for. When a lot of times people around this university just do really cool things, and you know, it's more fun to just talk about them in a, this is really neat kind of way. And so that's what we're really hoping to do.
1: Exactly. And I, I think one of, um you know, my my research area and Paula's, as you've just heard, don't really overlap at all. Um. And I think often people can feel quite pigeonholed and like, you know, I'm a mathematician. So I talk to mathematicians about maths and I don't talk to other researchers about maths. I definitely don't talk to the public about maths. Um Whereas actually that's not really what happens, you know, like you just have friends that have different interests. Um And it just so happens that within a university, lots of your friends will be so interested in their interests that they've done a doctorate in them. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a really kind of interesting dynamic you get where you're, you're talking to people about something they're so passionate about um, that I just know nothing about it. Um, and so having those kinds of conversations with people like Paula, we, we thought, hey, we both love doing this. Let's just bring some interesting people on and talk to them about
0: what they do. <laughs> and on that note, what is it that you do? What do you research, Josh?
1: Uh, yes, yeah, so I um, I'm a, a mathematician by by training, if you like. So my uh, undergrad degree is in actually in philosophy and maths, but I, I haven't done any philosophy for a long, long time. I went and did a maths masters and a maths PhD in a maths department, um, but really my research is aimed at solving a particular problem in sort of medicine in cancer research, and in particular we're at this really interesting sort of time where we've got huge amounts of data in the world of biology. So in particular, I look at at medical images um, of sort of microscopy. So essentially not, not to go into too much detail on it, but people, um, you know, surgically remove a tumor um, and you can take that and put it in a sort of block of wax and, slice it up very thinly and then look at it down a microscope and see where the different cells are. And we're now at a point where these sort of re- images are such high resolution, um, sort of talking like five or six gigabytes just for a single image, to millions and millions of pixels. There's a huge amount of information in there. Um, and at the minute, we don't really have a good way of analyzing that. It's just a case of... Um, you know, you you show that image to a pathologist. And pathologists are very good at analysing these things because they've been looking down microscopes for a long, long time. But ultimately, there are some things that computers are good at and things that humans are good at. And what we're really trying to do in, in my group is to to try and um, play to the strengths of the, the machines, if you like, play to the strengths of the maths. Um, so we don't want to get rid of pathologists or anything like that, but we want to get as much information as possible from these images. Um, And yeah, it turns out there's a whole load of ways that you can use maths to do that. So you can simulate interactions between different cells and kind of um, have a a model of um, how all of these different cell types are interacting and how how a tumour is growing. Or you can use things from areas like statistics and topology and all kinds of branches of maths to sort of describe the shapes and, and describe the patterns that you're seeing in different cells. So that's what I do. I, I try and find ways of applying interesting bits of maths to, um, to these sort of biological images and hopefully try and build some tools for um, medics and for clinicians to be able to treat cancer more, um, more betterly. I feel like my elevator pitch should end on a better note than that, but that's the aim. Do do treatment more better.
0: (laughs) Well, you can't get more betterly than that.
1: (laughs) No, indeed. Well, you can get betterly than that, and it's with your research.
0: (laughs) Okay, well, what is my research then? My research is focused on a completely different area, although we do have a little bit of a crossover when it comes to medicine in general, because I do history of medicine. And I am from Canada, as you can tell from my accent, but I researched the history of vaccines in Canada. And I look at the way in which vaccine policy from 1884 to 1972 uh, was was created, um, how research trials went forward on vaccines, uh, which communities were required to have mandatory vaccination and which ones were not the public response to vaccines, and especially looking at the immigrant and indigenous populations of Canada and their experience of vaccine policy. And this informs like modern conversations about vaccine um, hesitancy today, about the power of the anti-vaccination movements and where it comes from, and also the the kind of areas that healthcare professionals need to be aware of when they're trying to think about things like health equity and how to ensure that we're combating the problems in the past, such as colonial medicine and colonial medical policy, for instance, a lot of vaccines were originally tested on indigenous populations in Canada before being released to the public. And that is a thing that's often overlooked in these conversations, that there's this kind of like really um, darker side to medicine and medicine has has incredible, incredible um, impacts on how we've been able to come today in, in health. I mean, we were able to cure so many more things than we could have. We can treat and prevent so many more things. Um, but that—that that is a, a learning curve that came over the last 150 years. And I look at where that learning curve took place in, in the conversation about vaccines so that we can have more effective conversations today. Uh, it's very relevant research, turns out right now, of course. I mean, it was already kind of relevant because vaccines are such an important thing to get and to have people be educated about and also to... Um, address things like vaccine hesitancy and physicians and researchers and just, you know, cl- clinical medical researchers, et cetera, are always very aware of these conversations. Um, but it also has come really into the forefront with the development of the new COVID-19 vaccine, which has happened also here at Oxford. And uh, suddenly, I think a lot of the lessons that I've been pulling on in my research about who's afraid of vaccines and why and where those fears come from and where misinformation is able to to find a route and to spread and how it spread in the past, that's become really good modern day lessons as well for for people today to look at. I've, I've just published a really cool article. I'm going to shamelessly plug here on this exact thing on the conversation. 135 years ago, COVID uh, antivaxers were using the same conversations that COVID anti-vaxxers are doing today. So that's... Uh, that's what I work on, and I think it's um, it's been I think really empowering to just know that my research is really relevant. And I think you probably felt this way in mathematics all the time, in mathematical biology where you're trying to cure cancer. But like for a historian, um, it's a little bit harder for us to be relevant all the time. So,
1: <laughs> but it, it, I mean, it is great to see. Like, there's often a perception, particularly in science. Sorry, I was, was going to say, there's there's often a perception in like um. yeah there's there's often a perception among a lot of people that science is somehow um, sort of proper valuable research that has a real world impact and that things like um, history and the humanities and the social sciences are on a some sort of different level and that if you want to have real impact you do science and if you do anything else that's just a kind of waste of time and it's it's really not like that. And I think most scientists don't see the world like that either. Um, but I, I think your research is a really good example of that, where those kinds of conversations happen again and again throughout history. And if we're not aware of um, aware of that and not taking that into account when we're making policy decisions or whatever, um, or even just like, chatting to friends in the pub, like we don't have to reinvent the wheel all the time like people have already had these conversations and they've already raised the same kinds of problems that um, we're now seeing in a just slightly more digital way.
0: Yeah I also find it really fascinating the more I talk with other researchers no matter what field they're from just the ways in which you can always find connections and relevance amongst different research topics like I can talk to somebody who does uh, English literature, and we'll find conversations about you know social equity within English literature and we can find conversations that that are really translated across topics. I can talk to somebody within, you know, medical um, ethics and find say, similar translations. Even in astrophysics, I had a conversation with somebody the other day about how labels are created and the way in which um, different labels have have meaning based on the scientists who had control over the creation and then the research institution that propagates it and passes on that information. And I was able to have conversations about how that happens also in medicine and like history of medicine and how like even the names of vaccines were created by and named after mostly scientists. So there's always a a link there. And I think that's the most valuable part of these conversations is that uh, any research is useful because it has, it should always, I mean, it always has some sort of link to other research and it it just grows our knowledge in general, not just as individuals, but as a whole, researchers within an institution, but also as a society. Yeah.
1: And that's the sort of perfect, the perfect setup for what we're trying to do in in this podcast, I guess. You know, every week we're going to be, every episode, we're going to be talking to a researcher from a completely different field. And it may be one that I know lots about and that you don't, or that you know lots about and I don't, or that neither of us have a clue what's going on, which I suspect is going to happen more often than not. Um, But yeah, it's just kind of exploring those links and and just learning new things. Um, You know, I, I just love hearing people that are passionate about their specific thing that they have dedicated three or four years of their life to understanding. Um, and there are so many valuable things to do and no one person can do all of them. And I I want to know more about more of
0: them. I was going to say, I like that, that what you said there. It People who do a PhD have decided that they want to spend four to six years of their life studying exactly one thing. And they think that is the most exciting thing in the world. So passion is a huge part of it. And it can seem like a bit silly. (laughs) Um, But yeah, at least at the start, maybe by year four or five, we're a little bit burnt out. But it still means that you've had that passion. And I think that's the most important part is that when people speak about something that they truly love or truly fascinated by, it makes everybody else just as interested too.
1: Yeah, and I mean we've we've got you know we've we've got a, a, some really interesting conversations lined up. I think so. Um, I don't know should, should we should we tell people what we're going to do or should we leave them guessing? We can drop some hints, can we? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um- I mean, we can give them a few examples. We definitely have a few already recorded. Um, For instance, one of our podcasts coming up will be on Ghanaian political history, um, which is really interesting, and on exiles in Ghana or exiles from Ghana during political turmoil.
1: I'm going to give a shout out to uh, the stuff about new antibiotics. I thought that was really cool. Um, Or or that will be really cool, potentially, when, uh, yeah, in uh, whatever order of time you're listening to this in. Um, we've already had a conversation so i'm going to talk about it as the past haha uh-huh. in the past back then yeah <laughs> oh shut up that's what I'll do
0: and then of course also i found really interesting was a conversation we had with a researcher on internet ethics and the way in which you know facebook and Twitter and social media um, target or can be coded to you know, like spread disinformation. That was a really fascinating conversation around the US political election. So that's going to be an interesting episode to listen to.
1: Yes, indeed. And I, th- I think that's going to be episode number one.
0: That's what we're aiming for. Should be out within two weeks of this introduction episode.
1: Yeah, that was that's a really interesting conversation about internet ethics and uh, yeah, just politics on the internet in general. Um, so yeah, w- definitely watch this space. I learned a lot of stuff about so, yeah not not my ballpark but i uh, i spend far too much time on twitter let's maybe look at it in a different light so. and while
0: we're at it we should also be plugging our twitter and other social media accounts so that if anybody's interested in finding us they can find us and send us your suggestions as well because we can definitely talk to researchers who are interested in the topic that you want to hear about
1: yeah completely should, should we plug our twitter while we're here
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely so our twitter is at Research Pod. so you can find us and follow us, as well as send us your tweets.
1: Yeah, we've, we've got plans of um, some areas we'd like to talk about, but uh, there really are researchers on just about anything. And um, what most researchers have in common is if you say to them, hey, if we um, give you a few drinks, will you talk to us about the thing that you love doing? And people, people tend to like saying yes to that. Um, so yeah, if there's any particular areas you want us to cover, uh, you can send us a tweet or we've we've got a website, I believe.
0: We do have a website, www.researchontherocks.com, where you can contact us directly, check out all the podcasts we have and um, some other interesting information that we might post because we're all, always interested in finding new things. We might post some articles and some other stuff about what we are doing as researchers as well.
1: Yeah, so watch the space.
0: Oh, and tweet us all of your feedback and thoughts on the podcast as well.
1: As long as, as, long as they're good. You know, don't don't tweet us and say it's rubbish because um, yeah, we we uh, we don't have that good self-esteem. <laughs> if if you've got negative comments, send them to Paula.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I my, my personal tweets. But to be fair, I mean, most researchers have like. Basically, degrade themselves to working for peanuts in any research institution because they just are so desperate to keep working on their subject. They will work twelve to fifteen hours a day for like less than minimum wage half the time because of that. So, I mean, really, we don't need self-esteem in this field, right? I, I know the
1: deep state wants to, you know, tell everybody. No, wait. Are, are the deep state the goodies or the baddies? I don't know. I I think maybe maybe like academics are supposed to be some sort of agents of the deep state that are like pulling the strings behind the you know it doesn't matter that we're not paid much because we're secretly running the world and um, if anyone does think that i i hate to break it to you but um we we're just like not <laughs> i'd love it if somebody would listen to my uh opinions enough to like change how they're running the country but
0: uh that's not how it works i <laughs> mean we're really just nerds who don't really know how to talk to people so that's that's all we are but we do love to talk about what we research.
1: <laughs> so yeah, what we haven't told anyone yet, we, we've said our website is Research on the Rocks and we've said our podcast is called Research on the Rocks, but we haven't really explained why Research on the Rocks. So should we should we say a couple of words about that?
0: Oh, yes. That is firstly because it's a super catchy name. And secondly, because some of the greatest conversations that you have about research happen informally, You know, like I found a few drinks or not drinks at the pub. So we basically have invited people, given them a few drinks—not always alcoholic, of course. Some of our researchers, actually, lots of them, don't drink alcohol. So just want to plug that: we're not—we're not pushing alcohol. You can totally drink a Diet Coke and hang out with us. Um, and also, research in the rocks is a great, like, double meaning because research is not always, most of the time, not always going so well. It's usually quite rocky as a process.
1: Yeah, I—I I do love that double meaning of like. I don't know anyone who says, "Oh yeah, my research is going perfectly smoothly at the moment." Um, it's it's just permanent rocks, and sometimes those rocks come together and make a cocktail that you publish, and uh, that's great. But sometimes you just need those rocks to be in a cocktail for you to drink, and that's um, that's <laughs> that's what we're gonna do.
0: Yep. So I guess the last thing is to talk about how often we're releasing these podcasts.
1: So so the reason we're a bit unsure about this, um, you may or may not have noticed that there's a, a pandemic going on at the moment. So we actually originally came up with, um, with this idea and started recording this uh, back in, I think, February of 2020 and shortly after uh, recording our first episode or so. Uh, obviously, there was a pandemic um I think Paul has been back to Canada for quite a lot of that time, and it's quite difficult to get academics in a room around a few cocktails uh while you're not allowed to be in the same room as anyone else so we have uh slightly slightly had to change our plans a bit so we're we're recording this remotely, but we're hoping that most of the episodes that we're gonna be um putting out over the the next few months will hopefully be recorded in person we've managed to put enough in-person meetings together over the last year to set this loose on the world now so with any luck uh once once a vaccine is out and we're able to to kind of meet in person more often um yeah hopefully we can pick up steam
0: yeah definitely can't wait for for that vaccine yes um <laughs> okay so we'll see you and keep an eye on this uh add us to your channel you can get us on wherever you get your podcasts so we're going to be distributed everywhere um and yes yeah, so check us out on our web page and our, our social media follow us on twitter we can't wait to release some interesting conversations for you
1: yeah honestly i'm so excited about this like i've been looking forward to this kind of um all coming together for quite a long time and like I have no idea if anyone wants to listen to us chat with um chat with people about about what they do, but we're gonna do it anyway, so yeah, hopefully if you do enjoy listening, we'd love to plug our patreon, but we don't have one um so just listen to our podcast that would be great uh yeah, and let's have some fun
0: <laughs> like every good if no one listens to us like every good researcher at least we love listening to ourselves so yeah
1: yeah i I think that's um that's the important thing like if nothing else at least at least my mom will listen to it maybe you know no actually i don't think she would <laughs> i think it's it's just me
0: research on the rocks is an independent podcast um run by paul larson and joshua bull don't have any current support or financial sponsors, but that might come later. Uh, the intro music you heard was Taste by Track Tribe. And the outro was The Jam by Slink and Mr. Stavelina.